Welcome back to People Over Policy, a podcast that takes a look at policies and hears from the people directly affected by them. In our last episode, we looked at New Hanover County's Policy 3620 and its recent additions allowing middle school students to play for the sports team that aligns with their gender identity. In this episode, I'm talking to Scarlett Steiner, a former board member of the North Carolina High School Athletic Association, or the NCHSAA. We're going to talk about how trans athletes are able to compete at the high school level under NCHSAA's gender identity policy. And later, I'll talk with Dina Keeling, the Chief Equity Officer of Orange County Schools in North Carolina. We're talking about their policy and what Dina thinks is still needed to make schools more inclusive. I'm Maddie Holloway, and this is People Over Policy. In 2019, the North Carolina High School Athletic Association updated its protocol for allowing transgender students to participate in high school athletics. They created a gender identity student eligibility checklist. It gives a list of documents and forms students need to fill out in order to play sports. Here's what's on that list. Number one, a gender identity request form. Number two, an updated transcript. Number three, a written statement from the student affirming their consistent gender identity and expression. Number four, documentation from individuals such as, but not limited to, parents, friends, and or teachers, which affirm that the actions, attitudes, and manner demonstrate the student's consistent gender identification. Number five, a complete list of all of the student's prescribed, non-prescribed, or over-the-counter treatments or medications relative to the gender identity of the student. And number six, written verification from a healthcare professional. This is in addition to the usual documents high school athletes have to fill out, proof of physicals, team contracts, etc. It's a long list. When New Hanover County was discussing their middle school policy, some of the board members and members of the audience felt that the progressive changes on the middle school level would be giving trans students false hope for what would happen in high school. They believed middle schools should model the protocols on the high school level. Here's board member Hugh McManus. We have the North Carolina High School Athletic Association, correct me if I'm wrong, but they require a process. I think we're kind of throwing the middle school kids under the bus if we don't at least add a process to the middle school. I reached out to Scarlett Steiner to talk about the logistics of the gender identity request process. Scarlett served on the NCHSAA's board for four years and helped create their policy. She's also the director of athletics for Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools. Can you kind of talk about how it came to be? How did this policy come together? Well, I think it's been brought to the association several years. The NCAA, when they made their changes and so forth, it was brought to the association's attention. And they've been, you know, just gathering information and talking about it for several years, for sure. And we had been approached by some families and some counselors several years ago in Chapel Hill about allowing kids to play on the team that they identify with. And so we have allowed that in Chapel Hill for several years. And so they knew that I had had that experience. Um, And it's really about the safety of all kids involved, not only the, the student that is playing on a different team, maybe that they were born, but that the other students are supported and feel safe as well. Right. And when you were working on this policy, 
who who went into it? Was it just other board members at NC um, HSAA? Were there LGBTQ members on the board at the time? What did that look like? There was lots of people across the state on the committee. So it was not just board members. There were board members on the committee, but there was also principals. There was also athletic directors. There was also LTGBQTI moms. Um, there was also some advocates. Um, there was also some several doctors from Duke and from Carolina. Um, we had presentations along the way of people in the health in the health system who had specifically focused on that work. Yeah, we had, it was really across the gamut. We, the association does a great job at really trying to, when they build a committee like that, that you, you don't only get people from the triangle or people from one end of the state to the other, because as you know, North Carolina is a very long, wide state really try to get representation from all those different levels. And it's always about size of the district. So you wanna make sure you have representation from your smallest district to your larger district. So it was a pretty large committee. I, it was really studied hard in my opinion. The decision took place over the course of a year, Scarlett's last year on the board. Gotcha. And I mean, you mentioned, you know, people are coming from all over the state. And when, I feel like when people talk about trans rights or issues around transgender students, it can get kind of heated. I mean, what were the conversations like in these in these meetings? There were some tough conversations for sure. First and foremost is education. And so that's where the medical field comes into play. That's where principals who have worked with trans students and then studying other states and where there's been good things to happen and also bad things to happen. So we also had lawyers involved that presented lawsuits that, um, that have come through the court system and really learning from those and best practice. Right. And I know you mentioned in Chapel Hill, you know, you've worked with programs there. Was there a certain inciting incident that kind of pushed for this policy to move forward? Um, no, just that more and more people every year would ask. So more and more athletic directors across the state would ask and say that they have students who would ask. And it takes also students and families asking the North Carolina High School Athletic Association, when are you going to you know, meet and talk about this? So I think it just got more and more as, as time went on. Gotcha. And, you know, since the policy has been out, have, what kind of feedback has the High School Athletic Association got? Has there been a lot of students that have been filing through forms? Has there been a lot of positive feedback? Any negative feedback? There's been both, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, and in, in, in any policy, you're always gonna have both sides of the spectrum. I, I feel that there's been more positive than negative. The negatives aren't specifically about the policy, the negatives are about, I can't believe you would even entertain something like this. Hmm. So the negatives are from what I believe in the, re in the research and the work that I've done in this area, people who have not been educated about trans students um, and what they go through and what they, what they live with on a day-to-day -day basis. And we really, at the association and in athletics, you want to really do what's right for all kids. And all kids means transgender students as well. Yeah, I mean, at 
our local board of education meeting, it got really intense and there was a lot of talk about scholarships and how this will affect certain students getting scholarships versus other students not. Did conversations like that come up when the policy was being created? We did have many conversations like that and it tends to be more in individual sports. Tennis, for example, track. The NCAA was a was a big one we looked at as well because obviously kids that you know enter athletics then they go the next level would be NCAA and so we we really wanted to try to mimic what NCAA is although it's a totally different ballgame <laughs> just like with eligibility and academics I mean academics and the high school is totally different than the NCAA um, but we certainly had some NCAA influence as well. But the naysayers we've had along the way, I, I just don't think they've ever met a trans person, to be honest with you. And I also wanted to ask another part of the process. It, it requires verification from parents or guardians or teachers or friends. And I was wondering, what if, say, a student isn't out to their family or something like that? Would they we still, have that as well. Would they still be able to get through this process without parent or family approval? they would, and that is specifically about support. We wanna make sure that anybody going through a process like this in life is being supported by somewhere. So even if it's not your guardian, your parents, your family members, that it's a, that it's a close family friend or it's a psychologist or it's a psychiatrist or it's your doctor, somebody is supporting you through this process. This can be a very, as you know, can be a very tough process. And so we wanna make sure that the student is supported and that's what that's about. And I also wanted to ask, I would be crazy not to ask about bathrooms and locker rooms. I couldn't find anything specific in the policy about it. Um, is that more something that like individual high schools deal with or is that is there a rule that the High School Athletic Association covers? There is not a rule for the North Carolina High School Athletic Association. That rule would, would come from Department of Public Instruction encouraging schools to have gender neutral bathrooms. So that was, that's a state policy for schools in North Carolina, encouraging them to have gender neutral bathrooms, which again, we in Chapel Hill had implemented that many years ago. And that's another reason why I kind of got chosen to lead the committee, because again, we had experience of walking into a building and how do you pick a bathroom that you can turn into a gender neutral bathroom? So again, it's not, that's not about trans um, kids. That's about all kids feeling comfortable going to the bathroom during the school day. And that's, that's not necessarily um, a trans kid. It can be me who's very uncomfortable going to the bathroom with other females, you know? So, so that's what that's about is again, that everyone feels safe coming to school and the same thing happens in athletics, that they're feeling safe. I asked Scarlett if she thought sports would always be gendered. While the NCHSAA's protocol gives structure for trans students, it doesn't offer an alternative for non-binary students, those who don't identify as male or female. Do you think that we'll always have gendered sports moving forward? That's a great question. I've never thought about just, I know some people that let's just go out and play, whether it be, you know, you take a sport like Ultimate Frisbee, for example, you know, Ultimate Frisbee, there's a lot of co-ed teams. We like to think of football as a co-ed team at the high schools, but not a lot of born girls play football. So. Um, it's a great question. It's really about the love of the sport, which I would love to see. The process of making environments more inclusive involves taking a bunch of steps. 
Some think these steps are too drastic, while others think much more could be done. Last year, Orange County passed a gender support policy that seeks to affirm their trans, gender non-conforming, and non-binary students. Dina Keeling is the first Chief Equity Officer for Orange County and helped put their policy together. The position was created after the county's debate of whether or not to ban the Confederate flag in school settings. They needed someone to be on top of things like this, on top of the large umbrella term that is equity. So, Dina stepped in. For me, equity is making sure that all students have what they need so that they can be successful. The other component of equity is the recognition that some groups of our students have not been getting what they need. There is this misconception that equity is only for certain students or that equity means I'm taking something away from somebody. And it doesn't benefit me if I take something away from a group of our students because now that student is sitting in an equity gap. So instead, it's really the work of the district to figure out how do we reimagine what we have? How do we, as I said, like create these new policies and practices? How do we revise what we're doing? The term chief really comes to play in Dina's role. She serves in the superintendent's cabinet and has a strong voice with the Orange County Board of Education. So I'm a chief, right? And in some districts, equity is at like maybe a director level. And so there's these layers in between the equity officer and the superintendent and the board. And uh, the way that it's structured, we don't have that. Like I report directly to the superintendent and so, um, and have like contact and communication with the board, which is very important in doing this work. Since she started the job, she's dealt with issues like race, ethnicity, gender, and sexuality, specifically with the gender support policy. Because one aspect of this work is about policies, right? It's about looking at what policies do we have that need to be revised to be more inclusive? And what policies do we need to create for uh, whether it be around LGBTQ plus or race. So that's some of the work I do. Um, the other part of it is working with schools um, because I can't at a district level, like just solve all the equity issues of the world, right? It, it really takes the entire community to be involved. And so um, working with schools to help them to identify what are the inequities in your building and what kind of systems do you need to put in place. The gender support policy offers student protection, protocols for addressing students with correct pronouns, offering a list of gender and sexuality terminology with definitions, and it protects students from discrimination and harassment. The policy also offers individualized gender support plans. So it's optional. So if a student comes and says, you know, I would like to use a preferred name, then the counselor, the social worker will ask like whether or not they want additional systems to be put of support to be put in place. And some of that is also helpful for us to collect some information around what do we need to put in place. We have a number of students that are like, we really need to have like group support systems where we can come together and discuss as students and we know we need to put some affinity spaces in place for our um, transitioning students so and it doesn't go into some file that carries along with them it's actually done every year so every year the student can come back and say yes i need to have this support in place or at some point they can say everything's good i don't need it anymore and that also speaks to i know you had asked about like bathrooms that would be in the support plan like if a student is saying like i need to be able to use the bathroom of 
the gender that I identify with. Or maybe students are gonna start to say like, we don't want these gender-based bathrooms anymore, right? But it's only as, as we start to have conversations with students and asking them, so what kind of support do you need in place? Um, and so we do have some schools where at this point, students don't feel like they need to have the plan because the administrators are well aware of what um, support needs to be in place for students. And so the students are like, yeah, everything's fine now. Um, and then if some new situation arises and I don't know, there is some kind of big pushback and we have people that are showing up at the schools, I have no idea what's gonna happen. And they didn't need a plan. Well, now there's something to say, I don't feel safe. You know, so we need to put a plan in place with this administrator to make sure this child feels safe. The policy provides options for LGBTQ students and a safe space to say what they need. Dina's priority is making sure that every community feels like they have a voice. But as of now, she's the only one in her department. Do you wish you had more people on your team? I know you said like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know every experience. I know I'm an equity officer, but I'm not everyone. So yes. like what would an ideal equity team, I guess, wow. look like? Wow, right? So I'm a department of one. I literally have nobody else in my team. Um, and then people will say, well, all of us are on your team because equity is everywhere, right? But it's not the same. Um, yeah, wow. If I would, if, if I could, I would have at least one person in place for all of the different groups that our students identify as. I don't even know that we really talk enough about like what rights do students have? Like people are struggling with the bathroom situation, for example. You know, having someone in place who works with parents, um, having someone in place for our Native American, like all of our different, our Latino and our language diverse parents, I would, if, if I could, if people just said, what do you need? I would, I would have someone who identifies with all of our different groups so that they always had a voice. And that was one of the things we realized when I took the policy to the equity task force, no one on the task force identified as LGBTQ+, right? So the only thing that we could say was we're in support of the policy. Like we couldn't make any draft other than is there just some big equity faux pas in it? But overall it was like, nah, we really can't say that. So, but of course, you know, we'll never get all of that. To Dina, a big part of helping a diverse student population is to have representation and a diverse staff and faculty. Last question, what do you think the next step is going to be to make things more inclusive and where are you looking for these solutions? So again, I feel like we have to do a better job of keeping our students and our staff safe. And I think the hard part of the challenge right now is we have to not be afraid to have the conversation, right? You can't fix what you don't talk about. Where do I look for solutions in the community? I really think we're gonna have to come together around in the same way that people who are against diversity, equity, like, you know, just making sure all students' needs are met, like in the same way that they're organizing around that, we're gonna have to come together and organize around and say like, all of our students matter. This is our family, like these students are our family. It's not just my own child that I'm concerned about. And the same way I would not let you disrespect my own child, I will not let you disrespect any of our Orange County schools. 
students because they all matter and we're here for every single one of them and that's that's the hard part like because part of this work is changing hearts and minds that's probably the biggest part of the work and yeah the only way to get there is tapping into the community and us coming together I can't do it by myself right and um, and people need to understand that even if there was no chief equity officer at this point, like the ball is rolling. Like, I don't even think our students will allow anyone to take from them the strides that we've made so far. And that's the good thing, right? So that's the other strategy. So far in People Over Policy, we've heard a lot from leaders and policymakers about what it means to be trans, gender nonconforming, and non-binary. In our next episode, we're hearing from Alex, a student from New Hanover County who identifies as all of the above. Stay tuned to hear about how the policies we've discussed affect students in their daily lives and what Alex thinks can still be done for trans students. Thank you to Scarlett Steinert and Dina Keeling for talking to me for this episode. This episode was produced by me, Maddie Holloway. Our supervising producer is Allie Lindenberg. I'm Maddie Holloway, and this has been People Over Policy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>